Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our student ministries director, Tyler Fish, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. We're going to talk about identity. I actually want to go to uh, the front of your Bible. I want to go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 25, okay? So if you've got your Bible, or if you're taking notes, go there. You can also take notes, if you did not know, on our church website. If you go to thecitychurch.ca forward slash info, you can uh, select today's message. You can take notes, follow along. But we're going to jump in. If you don't have your Bible, it's totally okay. We're going to have it up on the screen. But let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. And let's read, okay? We're talking about the story of a guy named Jacob today. And Jacob had a really interesting story. Started out one way, ended completely different. This is the very first time we read about him. This is uh, about his parents, Isaac and Rebecca. But it says this in verse 24 of chapter 25. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Let's pray one more time before we get into the rest of the message. God, we thank you so much for the Bible. God, even if we've never cracked it open or if we've read it, front to cover, front to back a, a thousand different times, God. We're, we're approaching it today and, and giving you and your Holy Spirit permission to change us from the inside out. These are your words, God. These aren't the words just of a man, God, but these are your words, God, that you want to speak to us today. So God, we pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open. God, change us from the inside out in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, have you ever noticed that you act a little bit different with people that you know really well versus people that you maybe just met? You ever noticed that before? You ever noticed how, you know, you might have just met somebody and you're trying to get to know them and maybe you've gone out to coffee with them and you've, you know, you've talked about, you know, well, what was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? What's your family like? What do you do for work? It gets pretty surface level. Then, you know, maybe you get to know them after a couple years, you know, it's like two, three years in, and then you hang out, it's like, yo, you just want to go downstairs and eat some Cheetos and drink a lot of Mountain Dew, watch like, binge watch a show, and like just, you know, you're not like dressed nice anymore, you're just wearing like 14-year-old sweatpants that your mom gave you for Christmas. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just me? Cool, 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 cool. But, um, I've just found that it's so interesting that the, the closer we get to somebody, the more comfortable we feel or the more open we are. I found this to be super true when I was getting to know my wife. You know, um, when I saw Jane from across the courtyard at our Bible college and uh, she saw me and she knew immediately that I was going to be her husband. Um, the opposite, actually. But, um, you know, when I saw her, you know, and I developed feelings, if you want to call it that, develop feelings for her. At first, you know, I wanted to make sure that I always had on my nicest outfits, and I always wanted to make sure that, like, I didn't say anything too weird, because, you know, we're all weird, but you don't want to let people know that too early on, you know what I mean? They can figure it out later on. But, you know, trying to do that. But eventually, you can only wear your nice clothes so many times before they start to smell a little bit funny, you know? Um, I found that, you know, when you get married, it's, it's even worse, because uh, you have to wake up next to the person. If somebody loves you when you woke up to them, they really love you. Like, there is, you can't hide anything, man. You can't, your breath smells, your hair's not nice, all of those things. So, um, 
Yeah, it's been, it's been fun getting to, to know my wife over the, the last couple years, you know, now that we've been married for almost three years, two and a half years, so we're veterans, never have any issues, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> no problems. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's been cool, um, but, but I found that the more I've got to know my wife, the longer our relationship has gone on, the more intimate we've become, the more transparent I've had to become. The more open I've had to be about not just the, the things that look good on the outside, but the really kind of broken things on the inside of me. And I found that to be true in all areas of my life, in all relationships, that the more transparent I am, it's actually an indicator as to the intimacy level that I have with that person. That the closer I get into a relationship with the person, the more real I should be becoming. You know, you can, you can have a surface level friendship, that's okay, but really deep, awesome, the friends that you have for life, they're the friends, they're the people that you get really into like the, the nitty gritty of life. You know what I'm talking about? You really open up. I, wa- I want to just propose a question today. I want to ask, what would it look like to have a relationship with God where everything was out in the open? Some of you are like, uh-oh, shouldn't have come to church today. <laughs> but what would that look like? What would that look like to have a relationship with God? That when we pray to God, when we talk to God, when we read our Bible, that we're not approaching it trying to like have our guard up and pretending to be something that we're not, but to just be like, God, this is me. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I'm kind of weird sometimes. What would it look like to have a relationship with God where everything is on the line, where everything is out in the open? This is so important because I believe with all my heart that until you understand the identity that God has given you, you won't really be able to understand the activity that he's purposed you for. Now, don't you want to know why you were put on this planet? Don't you want to, like, isn't it at the core of who we are as human beings to understand who we really are, who were we created to be? My, my suggestion today is that the only person that can give us that answer is our creator, is our father. So it takes us being bold enough and courageous enough to get real with God, because I believe this with all my heart, that when we get real with God, he shows us who we really are. When we're bold enough, we say, God, this is who I am. He will do his part, and he's going to show us who we really are. So today, as we look at the story of Jacob, I want to talk about three truths. I want to talk about three truths that will help set us free, that will give us the boldness, the, the, the courage to be real before God. Are you guys ready? Come on, are you ready? Here we go. Truth number one, God accepts us as we are. God accepts us as we are. I love this verse in the book of Psalms. It says this, let all that I am wait quietly before God. Pour out your heart to him for God is our refuge. Let all that I am pour out your heart You know that phrase, spill your guts? Pour out your heart. I love it. It says in Psalms that our relationship with God should be the kind of relationship where we're able to divulge the deepest, darkest parts of who we are. Not just the parts that look good online or on Instagram. Not our Pinterest board life, but our real life. The life where our marriage isn't really that great right now. Where we want to kill our boss. That's not me talking, Pastor Brent, sorry. Um, (laughs) Where, man, like, you just, 
you're done listening to your parents and you, you just, it's hard. School is rough. Our not great life. It's so important to know that that's the life that we can bring before God. That's, that's what we can present before our Savior. Let me prove it to you. In the book of Genesis chapter 2, we've probably, even if you didn't come to church growing up, you've probably heard of Adam and Eve, and you've heard about the Garden of Eden. And really what this is, is the Garden of Eden is kind of a, a glimpse into God's intent for humanity, how he designed us to be with him. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2, and this is what it says. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and they were not ashamed. What does that tell us? That they had nothing to hide from God. That there was nothing between them and their creator. That they were totally comfortable presenting themselves to God just as they are. I've found this to be true, that God won't change what we cover up. So often our response to our sin, our response to our brokenness is to hide it from everybody, to hide it from God, to not even bring it up in prayer because we think somehow we can convince God that we're this perfect person. When, by the way, he already knows that we're messed up, just so you know. But we, pre we pretend like everything is okay. But God didn't need you to pretend like everything is okay. He actually says, you can come to me just as you are and I will accept you. You will find love. You will find grace. This is the God that we serve. He isn't judgmental. He isn't there to criticize us. Check out this verse in Hebrews. Hebrews says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace when everything is going perfectly. When we haven't fought with our spouse in the last six months. When our kids always obey us. When I always do what my parents tell me. When all my homework gets done on time. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that we can approach him in times of need. That means that when I'm weakest, I can approach God. When I'm the most broken and feel the most messed up, I actually have permission and authority to confidently, I love that it says confidently. It doesn't say that we have to tiptoe. We have to like, really like, oh, I don't know. But it says that, no, I can walk up to God. Be like, God, this is me. I'm broken. I've made mistakes. But thank God that he accepts me just as I am. Just as I am. All my bumps, all my scars, all my bruises, I can be totally transparent with him. Transparency is the starting point of transformation. If you're looking for transformation in your life, maybe the first step is getting transparent. This is going to sound funny, but let me just throw it out there. I believe that God designed us to be spiritually and in relationship with him and emotionally in our connection with him naked. No shame. No guilt. Hiding nothing. Not pretending to be anything that we're not. Not being one person in church and one person at home. We don't have to play that game. Nobody at this church is perfect if you didn't know that. Nobody on this stage is perfect. At the city church, you can come just as you are. If you can approach the throne of grace, you can approach this church. God loves you. We love you. We accept you just as you are. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not here. And you don't have to with God. He loves you and he accepts you just as you are. 
You know, exposing our weakness actually gives God the chance to work on it. It actually, it, it actually gives him access when we... Because look at what happened with Adam and Eve. They, they, they messed up. They sinned, if you know the story. And one of the very first things that they do when they messed up and there was disconnect from God, they felt like they, had, they, they covered themselves up. It says that they sowed, uh, they, they sowed leaves and they sowed animal skins and they made for themselves clothes. Why? Because that was what they thought they had to do. But God never intended for that. God intended for them to approach him just as they are. Saying, I'm broken, I'm messed up, but I know that God can do something with it. I know that God can work on me. And that's the second truth today, is that God works our weakness. That God wants to work on your weakness. God wants to do something transformative and powerful with your weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul is sharing a, a prayer or a conversation between him and God and as he's uh, writing to the, to the book of, or sorry, to the, the church at Corinthians. And he's, he's giving us an insight to it. So this is what God has to say to Paul, who, by the way, wrote most of the latter half of your Bible and used to uh, let Christians die. He was a pretty messed up person, but thank God that he approached God even when he was messed up because otherwise we wouldn't have a lot of this book. But I love this, and Paul shares this story. He says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, and I am, this is crazy, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I'm strong. When our posture before God isn't, God, I have it all together. I don't need your help. But our posture before God is, God, this is me. I need help. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm insecure. But would you please do something with me? When we posture our heart that way, the Bible says that at that very moment, that the power of God begins to descend on us so that we can experience transformation. God begins to do a work on our weakness. And I love that it's this crazy thought because it's so backwards to our culture that Paul says that he is content with his weakness. He's going to boast about his weakness. What would it be like if next week you show up at church and, you know, you're walking in, into the church and you have our amazing greeting team coming up. Hey, how are you? Great to see you. And you're like, oh, man, I'm a wreck. Got so many issues. Woo! Man, oh man, oh man. Oh, I thought my spouse was going to kill me on the way to church today, man. I'm telling you. Oh. But Paul says that he, he sets himself in this posture and in this position of boasting about his weakness. Now that's interesting, but I think it's because he's more aware of God's power than he is of his weakness. Or might I say that he has more confidence in God's power than in his weakness. Knowing that he may be weak, but God's strength is more than enough to make up for that. That he might be messed up, 
but God is so perfect that he can use a messed up Christian killing person like Paul to start churches, to be a part of writing scripture, and to change the world as we know it. That's what God can do with your weakness when you approach him with it. When you approach him boldly and say, God, this is me. God begins to do a work in it. Watch how God will work when you begin to boast in your weakness and allow him to start working on it. I believe this too, that God, God doesn't want to work on your weakness because he's mad at you. Like God isn't up in heaven saying, if they could just figure this out already. Oh, I guess I'll step in. I guess I'll help out. They're not figuring it out. God wants to help you because he loves you. God is so madly in love with who you are. It's like a good father who wants what is best for you. Who wants the very best. Did you know that? That God's intention for you is the best possibility. That the life that God has in store for you is not a subpar life, but it's the best life with more joy, with more peace. This is what our God is offering us. God, he, he just loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's madly in love with you, and he is, he, he is committed he is committed like a good friend, like iron sharpens iron, causing us to, to, to grow and to become the person that he has in store for us. God wants to work on your weakness, not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you more than you could ever comprehend. When you really love somebody, you want them to be the best version of themselves that they could possibly be. You do everything in your power to be committed to them. This is what our friendship should look like. This is, what our, this is what our relationship with our parents should look like. This is what our relationship with our kids should look like. This is what our relationship with our spouses should look like. That we would be committed to, to them becoming the best version of themselves. And this is what God does for us. That he sees our weakness and doesn't judge it, doesn't condemn it, doesn't say, I can't do anything with that. But he sees our weakness and he says, watch what I'm going to do. Watch how I'm going to work that. Watch how I am going to do something with that like they never thought possible. I just need to tell somebody today that your weakness does not define you. Your sin does not define you. Your brokenness does not define you. That past abuse, that does not define you. But that God is so good and he is so powerful that you can bring all of that stuff to him and he says, I will shape and mold like a potter at the potter's table. I will mold that into something so beautiful that they never thought it could ever look like that. This is the God that we serve who is so in love with us. Your weakness doesn't define you. God gets to define you. Why? Because he created you. The only thing that gets to define something is the person that created it. If I made up a new sport, I get to decide the name of it. When I have kids, I get to name them with my wife. Why? We made them. 
pick their name. So often we spend so much time naming ourselves, labeling ourselves, because we think we know who who we really are. I'm here to tell you today, only God knows who you really are. God sees you with blameless, pure, loving eyes, and he calls you his children and is committed to developing in you the best version of yourselves that you could ever comprehend. Your weakness does not, absolutely cannot, your past does not define you. You know, as we look at the story of Jacob, it's really interesting because, like I said earlier, his life kind of started off one way and it ended in a completely different place. You know, if you read the, the latter portion of Scripture and you begin to read on, you actually see that Jacob is very central to the overarching story of the Bible, that through him and in him, all nations would, would be blessed, and in him and, and through him that... that Man, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, that they would be blessed through through this broken, messed up guy that actually one day there would be this guy that that showed up that we're going to talk about in in a couple weeks named Jesus, and he came down as a little baby. It was through this guy here, but as you look at the, the beginning of his story, it's very interesting because even from the get go, we see that Jacob was called Jacob. Because as he came into this world, he was actually holding onto the foot of his little brother who came out before him. And they called him Jacob. You know, not, not like today, just because it, it sounded cool or it'd be a cute Instagram handle for your kid's Instagram or anything like that. But it was because it, it was an identity marker. And really, it followed him his whole life as you begin to read on about Jacob that time after time, situation after situation, he was constantly scheming and manipulating his way ahead. He was constantly grabbing on to the the, the coattails of other people, trying to, to pull himself up to a position he thought that he needed to get to. He cheated his brother out of their birthright, out of their inheritance. He lied to his own father. He wasn't really a uh, he wasn't really a confident person. He, he kind of just listened to what anybody else told him to do. His mom said, go do this, and it, it was wrong, but he wasn't confident enough to, to just go do it on his own. He would end up kind of like not sticking around home because situations got bad with his brother. Ended up meeting this guy named Laban who had a daughter, and they ended up getting married through kind of a wild story, but stuff went south there too, and man, he, he, he kind of kind of hurt himself he kind of made some mistakes and honestly just throughout Jacob's life like if you were to ask me he was kind of a screw-up he kind of if you ask me I didn't really know what was going to happen to the end of his story glad I'm not but if I was God I wouldn't pick that guy what happens is that we 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 go ahead in the story and we go to Genesis chapter 32 and Jacob finds himself in a situation that he can't heal grab himself out of that he can't scheme lie or cheat or double cross his way out of it's like I said he was with his father-in-law and stuff went south and actually there's this point in the story where his father-in-law Laban said okay they, they, they set up a monument and they said, uh, Laban's not going to cross this way and Jacob is 
not going to cross back this way. So he can't go backwards. But then as he looks forward, he has to cross the river. And what he's heard from, from his people is that on the other side waiting for him is the brother that he's double-crossed. The very brother that he cheated, that he had stolen from, was waiting for him on the other side. And Jacob finds himself in this really interesting predicament because he can't go backwards and he's scared to go forward. He can't heel grab himself out of it. Until we find our identity from God, that's how we find ourselves a lot of the time, stuck. Unable to move forward. Unable to experience true transformation in our lives. So he finds himself stuck. And what I love is that while he's stuck, while he's most, at, m- most lost, when it looks like all hope is gone, what happens? God meets him. And it's this really interesting story if you ever read it. And we don't totally exactly understand and know exactly what happened, but what's described is this intense experience that Jacob had with what seems is a physical uh, representation uh, of God on earth. It's almost, uh, again, scholars debate. Some people say it was, it was Jesus early on. Some people, again, we don't totally know. The point is this, is that Jacob had an intense, real encounter with God. And in the middle of this, it said, they actually describe it as a wrestling match. And I love that thought. It's like, if you're going to wrestle God, bro, you're going to lose. You know what I mean? But, but it's Jacob. He's kind of an idiot. So it's okay. So he goes to, they're wrestling. And I just imagine God having him in this like massive headlock and they're interlocked. But, but the story's interesting because Jacob isn't trying to get out of it. Jacob isn't trying to escape. But it actually says that Jacob is equally holding on. That they're interlocked in this intense encounter. They're, they're intimate. They're close. They're, they're closer than they've ever been. He's having this encounter. And God asks this really interesting question. Because it's God and he kind of knows everything. But he says this. Hey, what's your name? Who are you? Really? Hey, I already know. But I want to know if you know. What's your name? And again, so much more than just a name. If it was nowadays, it'd be like, oh, my name's Jacob. And that's it. But when Jacob responds, he is bringing up every mistake. Every broken piece in his past. Every person he's cheated, every person he's wronged, he's bringing it and God asks him, hey, who are you? What is your name? And I just imagine this struggle. It wouldn't be easy. And he's like, Jacob, heel grabber, screw up, cheater, liar, insecure, broken. And the response of God is just so beautiful. Because the moment that he got the most transparent, he experienced the most transformation. And this is what God says. He says, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but it shall be called Israel. The moment they were the closest, most intimate, and most transparent, transformation took place. But watch this. This was so cool when I saw this. 
Jacob, like we read earlier, by definition, that name meant heel grabber. God changes his name, says from now on you're going to be called Israel. And one of the definitions of Israel is one who has wrestled with God. Now watch this. Jacob goes from heel grabber, grabbing onto other people, grabbing onto everything that he can make happen, grabbing onto to schemes and liar, doing everything he can, to, to grabbing onto everything else who won't let go of, of his, own, uh, his own attempts and his own volition and all of these things. And what he begins to hold onto now, what he can't let go of is God. He goes from heel grabber, one who won't let go of anything else, to one who won't let go of God. Truth number three is this, is that God redeems your reputation. Here's what I mean. So often we begin to identify ourselves by our mistakes, by our sins, and we give ourselves a reputation. Or we've allowed other people to give us a reputation. You're this, you're a cheat, you're a liar. You're broken. You're abused. There's no hope for you. You can never have that kind of marriage. You could never have those kind of kids. You could never go to that kind of school. And we begin to develop this kind of reputation for ourselves. But what God steps in and does to the person who comes from divorce after divorce in their family line, what God will do is said, watch how I will use your marriage to be an inspiration to other people of what a godly marriage looks like. God takes the most addicted addicted person who can't stop looking at that thing on that screen, who can't stop who, who is trapped in a cycle and God says watch what I will, how I will work that weakness and I will take that brokenness and I will transform that person as to somebody who is an example of purity who is an inspiration to those who are also struggling and can help them on the journey God will take somebody who has no idea how to manage their finances who makes mistake after mistake and says watch how I will use you to make an impact in the kingdom of God with your finances to honor God with your money to do something like you never thought possible this is the God that we serve. He redeems us. He changes us. He uses our past to impact our future. He uses the things, our weaknesses, and he transforms them into strengths. From heel grabber to won't let go of God. It's beautiful. Hope isn't lost for you. You're not too far gone. God's not finished with you yet. You don't have to be perfect today. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for an open heart. He's looking for a posture of humility. Saying, God, this is me. And trusting that, man, he loves us so much that he accepts us as we are. That he works our weakness. And he can redeem our reputation. Transparency reveals truth. So often we approach God with, I think, what is a wrong attitude. And so often we, we, we approach him with this attitude that says, this is me. Take it or leave it. And, and maybe it's because you don't actually believe that God can do something with us and it's rooted in fear and, and insecurity. It's like, God, just take it or leave it. I don't know if you can do anything with this. Or maybe it's the opposite. It's, it's a pride issue and it's got take it or leave it. I'm not changing for you. This is me. My, my suggestion 
is that if we want to experience true transformation in the life that he has in store for us, the right attitude is this. This is me. Take me and transform me. This is me. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know all the details. I don't know how you're going to do it, God. But take me and transform me. And I know. I know that's scary. Let me speak to the men for a second. I know it's scary to admit that you've got issues. I know it's scary to admit that you're not the strong man that you presented yourself to be. But I'm just here to tell everybody in this room today that if you will get transparent and real with God, and you allow His Spirit to give you the courage and the boldness to be real with God, you will discover who you really are. You will discover the man or woman that God has created you and destined you to be. What if transformation is just on the other side of you being transparent? What if it's one prayer away? What if it's one conversation away? What if it's one moment saying, God, I'm done pretending, done with the game, I'm done showing up to church every Sunday and pretending like I, I don't have anything wrong. I'm done with the, the game of pretending in my marriage that everything is totally okay. I'm done pretending like I know exactly what's going on with my kids because I have teenagers and they're kind of weird sometimes. They're kind of crazy. What if it's one conversation away from you experiencing and stepping into what God has for you? When we get real with God, I guarantee you, He's going to begin to reveal to you who you really are. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at City Church GTA. Thanks again for joining us.